Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. Airbus is flying high after winning a deal from Chinese companies for an order of almost 300 airplanes. What does the deal say about the potential for China's aviation market? And Kenta pop star Sally Ye has touched millions with her music. What's her story and what has made her music so enduring to so many? Welcome to The Point, an opinion show coming to you from Beijing. I'm Li Xin. Geopolitics over business merits? China's biggest airline sealed a deal with Airbus to buy almost 300 aircraft worth 37 billion US dollars. It's China's biggest aircraft order since COVID-19 dealt a huge blow to the travel industry. But the deal is being called a big disappointment by US manufacturer Boeing, which called out geopolitical differences as a major constraint on US aircraft exports. What do airplanes have to do with geopolitics, if any? Anything. What does the deal say about the potential for Chinese aviation industry? I'm pleased to be joined from Beijing by Cui Hongjian, Director of the Department of European Studies at the China Institute of International Studies, and also from Kunming Yunnan, David Blair, Vice President and Senior Economist at the Center for China and Globalization. Gentlemen, welcome to The Point. Airbus representative said the deal demonstrates the positive recovery momentum and uh, prosperous outlook for the Chinese aviation market. And these new orders demonstrate the strong confidence in Airbus from our customers. It is also a solid endorsement from our airline customers in China of the performance, quality, fuel efficiency and sustainability of the world's leading family of single aisle aircraft. Mr. Tsui, what's the story behind this purchase from Airbus? I think now it's a good time for uh, China and uh, Airbus to sign this uh, deal. Because as we know now, no matter what happened in uh, Ukraine or how about COVID-19, now it looks like, looks like a very, very good starting uh, point for the aviation uh, market to get some more recovery. And also now, uh, I think it's a good time for Chinese airlines to sign this uh, deal with Airbus to get some more discounted prices. As we know now uh, for um, European uh, economy, uh, it has uh, led a lot of uh, stimulation, I mean, to uh, get some more recovery for economy. And also, uh, yes, uh, I think that for this uh, long-term cooperation between China and Airbus, it's a very, very good product. Was the deal signed just recently? I mean, was the idea to buy from Airbus just came up, you know, recently, or is it a longer-term agreement that has been in the making, Mr. Tsui? As we know, for this uh, contract between the airlines and the producers, always it's a middle or long-term, I mean, uh, plan, project. It's not, a, it's not just a short-term uh, decision. Uh, even before the COVID-19, as we know, that the Chinese... Uh, Aviation market uh, is uh, one of the biggest, I mean, market and uh, get, uh, I mean, great booming uh, perspective. So I think that uh, for this uh, deal, uh, for between uh, China and Airbus, even between China and Boeing, I mean, there are a lot of discussion and a lot of the uh, negotiation. So I think it's a, a very, very good decision 
for long-term consideration for both two sides. Mr. Blair, why such a large quantity? I mean, 300 airplanes, and uh, uh, does it mean that China is preparing for a spike in airline travels in the next decade or so? Well, there are economies of scale in producing aircraft. So, of course, the manufacturer, both the manufacturers and the airlines like to have big orders so they can take advantage of those economies of scale. And the airlines want a lot of the same kind of aircraft so they can become, develop their expertise in, in the flying and the management and the logistics of the aircraft itself. Uh, I think this is a very good sign for the recovery of the Chinese tourism industry, which has been one of the big drivers in the consumption market in China. So I think this is a sign that the airlines are confident that this COVID problem is going to be behind us in the near future and that uh, tourism will recover. Uh, this is especially important for the manufacturers now because we're seeing the opposite in Europe and the United States. We we're facing high rates of fuel costs, high inflation, and that's going to cut down a lot on discretionary air travel. People just don't have the money to pay for rapidly rising airline tickets in the United States and Europe. So we, I expect to see a big decline in those markets, especially if the economy gets worse in the next year, which I, I think probably will happen. In November 2017, actually during former President, U.S. President Donald Trump's visit to China, China signed uh, you know, uh, intended purchase deal with Boeing for 300 aircraft, which is which was worth 37 billion U.S. dollars. Mr. Blair, what happened to that deal? Well, I'm not familiar with the details of that deal, but as you know, there were a lot of uh, problems uh, between the United States and Europe in the next year. So I expect there were there were issues. And also during the uh, 2020, 2021, the airlines didn't need, I mean, they didn't need new aircraft. So, of course, they weren't taking delivery of new aircraft. Uh, the other thing that happened, which we can talk about in more detail, is the Boeing 737 MAX catastrophe, the two crashes that happened largely because of Boeing's uh, mismanagement and incompetence. So I would be hesitant to be buying Boeing aircraft at the moment. Mr. Tsui, how big of a factor do you think the accidents involving the, the Boeing 737 MAX uh, model, how big a factor is that in China's decision to purchase such a large quantity of airplanes from Airbus? Indeed, I think uh, there is a lot of impact of this uh, uh, security issue, even for this uh, uh, any kind of a contract or deal between China and some other uh, manufacturers. Also, we know. Uh, because of uh, um, Boeing 737 MAX or some other, you know, air can air or accident. I think now for China, always to take a more, uh, you know, uh, to take a better performance. Uh, I mean, air plan always uh, priority for for its uh, decision to get some more <coughs> airplanes. So I think now. Um, the uh, Airbus is right to say that uh, its performance and also even some other, I mean, very good, uh, you know, uh, quality or some other, even the uh, uh, fuel uh, efficiency, I think that a very, very good advantage for Airbus to win the uh, contract. The news has sparked quite a bit of interest and uh, even, you know, um, very, com very 
subtle reactions, like psychological reactions. For instance, one headline from the uh, publication Political from the United States says Airbus has deep links to Chinese military industrial complex. Boeing certainly ex uh, expressed a disappointment in a statement. How big of a blow is this going to be Boeing in terms of finances, but also to its business relationship with China and considering the huge potential of the Chinese market? Well, this is not a huge part at the moment of, of Boeing's uh, business. They, they have lots of thousands of planes in process to be sold overseas. So this is not a direct blow to their business, but their, their market share has gone down and also their stock price has gone down a lot. I think it's only over 40% in the last few years. So I think that's, they, they have to fix a lot of the problems they have. I, I want to say, I mean, I, I think it's wrong to call the two crashes accidents exactly. What happened was Boeing decided to save money on development and safety in that aircraft. And after the first one, they knew exactly what went wrong. And the second crash, the one that was the one in, in Indonesia, the crash in Ethiopia, they knew exactly what was wrong with the first one. And it's pretty close to involuntary murder, uh, what happened in the second crash. So I think this is a serious problem with uh, Boeing's management style. It, it's also, it reflects a lack of responsibility that I'm seeing throughout the whole US, it makes me very angry, the whole US leadership class right now. People saying, it's not our fault. It's not our fault we lost this deal, it's geopolitical factors. It's not our fault that we horribly messed up with withdrawal from Afghanistan, resulting in hundreds of people being killed unnecessarily. That's not our fault. This kind of desire for responsibility without accountability is a very dangerous problem. The Boeing board consisted of no engineers. It was entirely former politicians, former generals, people like that with no engineering expertise. You didn't have anybody who, there who could say, no, we're not doing this. That needs to change throughout the system, throughout the business and government system in the United States. Professor Tsui, your reaction to what uh, Mr. Blair just said? Yes, I think that, uh, <clears throat> uh, I think firstly, uh, the Chinese uh, market is, uh, uh, you know, with a big diverse, uh, diversification and also very uh, full competition. So I think we should we shouldn't we don't we should not have any kind of a, how to say little sum game, uh, I mean mindset uh, regarding to this uh, Airbus and uh, Boeing, uh, because as we know not so far, uh, still uh, for this uh, major for these two major uh, uh, manufacturers in Chinese market, they take uh, uh, roughly half to half percentage. I don't think this uh, new deal between China and Airbus will change uh, this situation fundamentally. Once there is not any, I mean, very big change of the uh, policy or even the, uh, I mean, the performance of a uh, Boeing in China's market, I am I'm afraid that uh, it's not this contract. Maybe for the future, Boeing will lose uh, its uh, competitiveness uh, in China's market. Uh, you know, comparing with uh, Airbus.
How do you look at the importance of a geopolitical factor? Is there a geopolitical factor in there? Because the United States, for instance, President Trump launched the trade war against China. The United States tried to decouple, try to, you know, shut, shut out Chinese uh, uh, many importers from U.S. high-tech exports and all of that happening. And then they expect Chinese markets to continue to buy U.S. products and, you know, uh, continue to deal to benefit the U.S. consumers. And, and so on and so forth. Um, do you see a problem there, Mr. Tui? Uh, I don't think there is any real geopolitical consideration from China to get so kind of uh, leverage to take the, uh, you know, contract as a leverage to deal with any competition from the United States. But I do think that uh, uh, there must be a, uh, you know, consideration related to the security which kind of security, the security or supply chain. Also, you know, once there is a more tension between China and the United States, for the consumers in China, they will have to a field of any kind of uncertainties in future. Also, you know, that uh, all of this uh, contract uh, should be a long-term contract. So once there are some problem in future, especially once right. the American administration to try right. and have try to have some any uh, you know long long arms uh, jurisdiction because of any kind of uh, uh, you know disagreement with the Chinese government how about these uh, benefits mm -hmm. or the interests for consumers in China many thanks to Tsui Hongjian from the China Institute of International Studies and David Blair from the Center for China and Globalization after the break I spoke with Kendra pop singer and actress Sally Ye about her story and how her music resonates with generations of Chinese fans including me we all enter this world with a universal greeting <laughs> We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. General Railway Company Hear the difference. Join our global network to connect with the world. Making room for all opinions and seeing events from more than one side. This is The Point. Sally Ye, an award-winning singer and actress from Hong Kong, started her career in the early 1980s. She has witnessed the changes to China's music scene over the past four decades. Her songs have touched generations of Chinese and still resonate with the younger generation. Why has she started to stage a comeback after years of laying low? How does it feel to be embraced by young fans at the age of 60? And is she worried about aging at all? I had the pleasure to talk to Sally Ye, who joined me from Changsha, Central China's Hunan province. I started by sharing a small secret with her. I'm so pleased to be joined from Changsha, Central China, by Sally Ye, who is an award-winning artist from Hong Kong. And this is the very first time she does an interview in English. Great honor, great pleasure. I'm a big fan of you, Sally. Welcome to the show. 
Thank you so much. And I'm very honored and um, excited. But you know, Sally, I'm going to share with you a small secret because I did this big so-called live debate with the American, um, with an American colleague a couple of years ago. And it was such a big event. A lot of people were anticipating it. I was so nervous. You know what I did to help my help me relax and prepare in the week before that live live debate? I listened to your song. Oh, my God, you're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, not <laughs> at all. Kidding. I didn't expect you to say that. <laughs> I was uh, it was, it's so true. I was listening to um, the theme song from a Terracotta Warrior. Fun, fun oh, you mean Fun Sam Oh, 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 oh Yeah, oh, wow. yeah. Because it is such, um, it has a sadness. It has like, you know, something, something grand is happening. It's so deep, you know, a lot of emotions. And that was the, the right thing to prepare me. So... <laughs> Oh, imagine. really? Well, I'm glad my song could do that for you. I wish you could do that for me. <laughs> I have to listen to someone but else's you, songs. But you don't know how much you have meant for a lot of people who have been listening to your songs. Tell us a bit about, uh, I know you have a very long journey, right? You started acting, you went to Hong Kong in the 1980s, and pretty much ever since then, you started singing, you were acting. And uh, now you're one of the most loved Hong Kong counterpop singers and actresses uh, uh, for the mainland especially. How does it feel to cover such an incredible journey and come this far? How does it feel like, uh, you know, at this particular moment for you? Well, I wish I had a really intelligent answer, but I don't know. I don't, it's kind of overwhelming at this point because I kind of thought my career was pretty much at a at a place where I thought I would just live my life. I didn't think that I would have a second running of my career. Like this time when I'm coming into the mainland, the response is so overwhelming. And um, I've always had a rapport because I've always sang Mandarin songs and then Cantonese songs. And then we kind of go back and forth. But I didn't realize that anybody still remembered me to be honest oh people not only remember you as you can tell from the responses you've been getting yes and i was i'm, I'm actually very shocked by those responses and i don't really look at them too much but people keep telling me and then so when they tell me i'm like are you sure are you sure are you kidding me and and i can't believe it and i don't know why and um, you don't know why when I'm in Hong Kong, <laughs> when I'm in Hong Kong it's uh, very nice because I've been there all these years and people just when they see you they see you like they see an old friend so they say hi to me and I say hi to people and and I just can eat my dinner I and nothing nobody you know looks at me more than twice just looks at me a little and then they and then I just live my life and then suddenly I come to the mainland to join this show and and suddenly everybody knows me and, and stops me to, to take a picture and, and is happy to see me. Were you touched by, by all of the, the warmth, the, the, you know, the great responses we were getting? Yes, I, I, I'm not just touched. I'm overwhelmed and I'm in disbelief because people, they tell me about, they show me pictures they might have taken with me 35 years ago and and of course, when I dyed my hair white, I thought, well, that's going to be it. I'm just going to come out this old lady. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. And I didn't realize that people could embrace that and realize that it's fun to be um, 
old and um and can and can um and can be excited about it yeah what do you think people relate to or people are celebrating when seeing you are they celebrating of course you are diva you know i, I have I no saw... idea <laughs> okay let, let let me let me share a little bit of my my uh, understanding when i saw the video of the show he did in uh, hunan weishi i think people love all these old songs that they heard many, many years ago, Jufu, of course, not, not that particular song, but all of these old melodies that they were very familiar with, right? They even grew up with, even the younger generations, these are part of their memory, part of the old days for them. I think that is one big part of it. And of course, you're a great singer, and together with your husband, George Lamb, you made, you had such energy, right, on site. So I think that also, um, gave it a, an extra touch to it um, and and this is Hong Kong returning um, to Chinese rule 25 years right celebrating this great moment uh, that's my understanding w what do you think yeah how do you feel well I feel that it's wonderful that we can make this crossover and that but we've always been doing it not just on the 25 year mark but we've always loved Mandarin music and we've always loved Cantonese Cantonese music and the only difference is the language which in China there's so many different dialects like in Hunan they have their own dialect in Seichun they have their own dialect in Shanghai they have their own dialect and so Cantonese I expect is just one of the dialects and but for some reason Cantonese people make great songs or Hong Kong they write great songs and um and but so does the mainland and so we kind of I listen to mainland songs all the time. We watch mainland programs and they watch Hong Kong programs. And, and it's wonderful that there's this loving relationship right now where they embrace Hong Kong songs much more than they ever did before, which I, I know they did, but it was sort of like more quiet. But now it's like become very mainstream and they resonate with the words because I, I probably am the same. I'm the timing is similar for me with the mainland because I've never really known what I've sang because I always sang in Chinese, but I never understood the words because when Chinese words are written, it's very poetic. Like I can't understand the news when I listen to it in Chinese. So equally, I cannot understand the words of my songs. But when I hear the right arrangement and the right arrangement brings out the words resonance, the words resonate to me. And so I somehow <laughs> can sing the emotions of the, of the music rather than the words. But now at my age and coming into the mainland, I realize how important the words are. And I didn't realize all my music, all the words written for my songs, which I thank the heaven above and the universe for helping me with that, is all my songs are very positive, very encouraging, very supportive of life, of love, of faith, of trust, yeah. of, yeah. of um, going forward, being strong. And, and I feel that resonates with people and especially now with COVID, especially how difficult the world is, um, that makes all the more difference. So then then you then you kind of bring the two worlds together, which is still one world, but it's just somehow a different kind of a dialect, I guess. And then and it just works. What's next? Now you have this comeback. Now you can't retreat anymore. You've got to keep going. What is your big plan? And, and especially with the integration that's going on, you know, between the two sides, a lot of room, a lot of excitement, I guess. No, no plans. I have no plans. I never, I've never had plans. I let 
life take me and I let the universe take me where I'm supposed to go. I've never had a plan in my life. Hmm. And when I okay. plan it, it always gets messed up. So I don't want to plan anything. I will just take life as it comes. I will take every challenge, every wonderful experience, every every um, honor, every grateful day that I have by day by day. You know, people love love that that kind of mentality. You know, that they're not trying to manage everything. They kind of just live right live life as it is and that's why i asked uh, a girlfriend yesterday i said if you have the opportunity to interview sally Yip, what kind of question would you ask and she said um are you afraid of being uh, are you afraid of aging what if love becomes kind of family <laughs> feeling and uh, how do you how do you become such a wonderful couple so pick one which one you want to wrap this interview with oh. I can't remember what they are. Okay. <laughs> what was the first one? Uh, are you afraid of aging? I guess you're not. No, I'm not. Why not? Aging is a natural process of life and we have to embrace it. If we're afraid of it, we won't enjoy it. It'll just go by. So we shouldn't be afraid of aging and we shouldn't consider it as aging. We should consider it as part of life, as a day and day after day existence of life because we're going to die anyway. It was just going to be one of these days, but we just got to have a great time before we go. And um, we got to teach as much as we can. We got to influence as much as we can and we got to treat treat ourselves as good as we can and so don't be afraid of aging i i don't see the problem <laughs> i mean i can walk further now than i could when i was 20 i can walk a whole golf course whereas before i couldn't i can walk a, in this heat where whereas before i couldn't so i'll also answer your second question which is about having love so long that you become family and that's true no love can last forever not that kind of love the kind of love you're talking about mm -hmm. but the kind of love that you that you endure each other and you're you're you have our patience with each other and that you that you appreciate each other and you respect each other that love is is goes on forever that's infinity and beyond isn't that the name of our show infinity and beyond Absolutely. <laughs> so <laughs> if you have a love that becomes family that's rich that's 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 the meaning of life. Thank you so much, Sally Yip. And, uh, thank you. Sally and Yip I really and, appreciate you interviewing me. And thank you so much, everybody. Thank you. Yeah, we, we appreciate the great music you bring to people. Keep, Keep doing loving that. all our songs. Thank you. We will. Thank you. That was my talk with uh, singer and actress Sally Yeh. And with that, we come to the end of this edition of The Point with me, Lu Xin. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Lu Xin in Beijing. You've got the point. <laughs>